Well, good morning. My name is Chad Puckett. I'm one of the pastors here, and I would love the opportunity to meet you. If I haven't had the chance, it would be a real joy, a real honor, and a real blessing. But I want to take just a second to kind of be fatherly presence here for just a second. And, and simply say, uh, let me let you just into my life for a second as an illustration. Uh, this week, I had to have a surgery. Surgery is a bit of an overstatement. That's what they call it, but it is nothing serious. So uh, don't worry your little selves, okay? Don't worry about it. Uh, but it becomes important because it, it highlighted I needed my wife. I needed my wife to help me. I needed her to get me back and forth to the doctor. I needed, I ne- she had to take off work and do certain things to, to be present for all of those things. And, and, and it just highlights for us that in a family, there are moments where we really need each other. And it wasn't in her day-to-day activities to drive me around every place and to help me uh, make sure I'm getting my medication and stuff. But like the long and short of it is families help each other. And we're called to be the family of God together, and we're in a moment in which we need to help one another. We, by God's grace, have a ton of kids back there. Maybe you've heard them this morning. Maybe, maybe you've heard them. Uh, we have a ton of kids back there. We have a ton of kids that are coming to our church. Uh, we've had a ton of babies born in the last year, and we have a lot of families that are coming to this place. And it just leads to a moment where we actually need more hands on deck. Again, that might not be your regular rhythm. That might not be where you think your gifting is. But like, it's a moment where your church family actually needs you to step into that. And so my, uh, my encouragement to you is that if you've been here six months or more, you're a part of this church for over six months, to run, not walk to Melinda. Okay, how about that? It's like, let's run, not walk to Melinda. But like, maybe the, the real thing is not to serve directly in the kids' ministry. I don't want to take that off the table, but I, I want you to know that there are other ways in which you can really lighten her load. You can lighten all, everybody's load, and you can help the kids' ministry. And, and that's not to like help our ministry. It's actually directly helping kids. Helping kids. We want to disciple these, these children that God has entrusted to us in this place. And, and one of the things is, is less important to those who are at the 11, but, but we have so many. It is packed at the 9 a.m. It is packed, and our kids' ministry more than anything is packed, and we just ask them to try to come to the 11. But what I want you to do is do a couple things for me. If you're not, if you're not serving in our kids' ministry, I want you to consider for a season uh, jumping in and helping us with that whether it's at the desk, whether it's in a room, whatever that could be. And regardless, wherever it might be, whatever your capacity might be, I want you to be praying for our kids' ministry and for God to continue to build up this church. We love these kids. We don't want to just keep them corralled. We want to disciple them, and we want to see God work. All right? I want to pray for you, and I, want, I desperately need you to pray for me as we dive into this passage that's really important for us. So let's do that. Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you for what it reveals to us. Thank you for the gift of your son. God, thank you that our hope is in and through the finished work of Jesus. Thank you that you haven't just left us here to fend for ourselves, that you've sent your spirit. And so help us to see how that applies to our lives today. God, open our eyes. Open our eyes today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, we pray regularly. Regularly, my prayer for our church is that God would disrupt us. 
And, and that's not because any of us need like a speed bump in our lives. That's not be, because it's like, hey, I've got all these plans. God, toss them up in the air and do that. Like we're asking God to disrupt us for a reason and for a purpose that I think is really important that we would see him. We would see God. So often I'm just moving too fast through my day to actually pay attention enough to see God. We would know him, that we would know him. That's discipleship happening back there. I know you heard it. It's discipleship. That we would know him. That God would disrupt us, that we would know him, that we would love him. And not just uh, attend a church, not just go through the motions, but like, God, like, get my attention. Get our church's attention that we would do this, that we would we'd know it. It becomes a really important for us as we come to passages like this, passages that are charged, passages in which we're coming to it with baggage, whether we realize it or not. We're coming to this section of scripture, which is around the gifts of the spirit. And you're bringing in some preconceived notions. So am I. All of us are. Whether it's good thoughts or it's like concerned thoughts or our fears. Or maybe it's like finally we're getting to this. Finally we're talking about something. And finally this church could come alive. Whatever you're bringing into it, I want, my prayer has been, and what I want for all of us, is that God would be disrupting what we bring into it, that we would hear what he has for us directly. And I say this because passages like this are easy for just us to come feed our own thoughts into it and miss what's going on. And we flatten so much of the, the gospel story. We put it into this like monotonous, one-tone message of like, do, are you going to heaven or are you going to hell? Which is, of course, a really, it's really important, but it's not the whole story. It's not the whole story. And we do this in all sorts of aspects of our life, which we just flatten everything. I have this here. This is, a, this is a picture book. You have probably something like this and stuff. This is a picture book of Central Asia where I got to spend a good part of, uh, of a decade in off and on, back and forth to all of this. And we, we come to these things with pictures and we can see, and I'll show you some, like, like here's a meal in a home. Well, I, I jumped ahead. There's a meal in a home. And you can see parts of that. You could see the pictures. If you were to come to my house and thumb through this or some of the other things, you would see these pictures and stuff. But it doesn't begin to tell you. It doesn't begin to tell you the story. Because what you don't see there is the kitchen. And you don't see uh, the fact that we're sitting in the home of refugees. It doesn't begin to tell you the whole thing. You can't even see the beads of sweat on everybody or know how precious that meal was. You can't know that just simply from a picture of this. We come to other ones and, and you can't walk the streets and, and experience the bread man. You can see it and you can do that, but you don't hear it. You don't hear his calls and you don't smell the bread. You can't do that. You can't smell the bread. And yet so often we trade the experience for the picture book. And we trade the experience that God, what God is inviting us into for the picture book. For example, like you, can go to the, you can go to the book. You can check it out from the library. You can go online and see every place on the planet right now. You can Google Earth wherever you want to. And you can see the city. You could stand over like Google Earth and see the city. And you could do that. But what you can't recognize from just a picture book of all of this is like the lighthouses that are there. 
a handful of spots that are in that picture where we could point to the, the five, six believers in that city. And what, even if you could, even if you could like Google Earth that and search that, you, you would like need to turn around from the picture book and recognize that what you see is a city right there. If you were just to turn around on that hill, it would be endless fields, village after village of people who've never heard the gospel, who haven't heard the gospel. You can't, you can't tell just from the picture of what it feels like to step into a mosque to pray for the nations and pray for God to work from inside the mosque. Well, that isn't like some Christian adventure tourism, but it's actually uh, people saying, God, move. God, stir. God, uh, rescue. When the call to prayer goes off and the place fills up. And, and so what I say in, in all this is not to, uh, to say, hey, you need to get a great picture book or you need to book a flight and get, get your passport up to date. That's, that's not the whole story, though that might be some of the stirring. It, it was what I'm saying is God isn't inviting us into some flattened version. There's an invitation that he's calling us to. There's an invitation that, that when we come to texts like this, isn't just like, hey, this happened way back when. Make sure you've got it on your timeline. No, it's an invitation for us not to approach faith like a picture book, to, but to approach our, our, our faith in Jesus, to approach life today as, man, this invitation to something so much more. You can come to my home and look through this book. The book isn't important. The, the, this book is what it's important, and it is alive. The Bible tells us it's alive and active, and it is an invitation for us. And if all we do is hear about the gifts and say, oh, well, that's something else. I was, that happened then, that happened there. We're missing so much more of the story. God wants all of our senses involved, and God wants to blow our mind with how he's working right here in and among us. And so this morning, there's an invitation right here in the text for each of us. And I want to walk through our text, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I hope you have a Bible. If you don't, we have Bibles for you and you can take one. But I, I think it's important for you to see that we're not just plucking this out. We've been walking uh, all through 1 Corinthians and it's actually right here and not something that we cut and paste and put on a screen for you. It's right here. And so we're going to walk through these five basic questions of understanding. You learn them in grade school. All of us have. There's five plus one, right? There's who, what, when, where, why, how. We're going to just ask those questions of the text, and we'll kind of differ. We'll take it in a different order, but that's how we're going to look at this text to see what's happening for us. So, so we'll dive in with this question of what's going on. When we come to a text, we, we simply want to ask, what is actually happening here? And so I pick it up in verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's super important for us. We've got this word here, manifestation, and that unlocks a lot for us. It's not just, hey, something happened here. It's a manifestation, which means an event, an action, or object that clearly shows or embodies something. I catch that. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good and embodies. Embodiment, an embodiment of what? Embodiment of the Spirit. 
Like here's what's being said. To each is given the manifestation of, of the Spirit, the actual showing up, the action, the presence of the Spirit. And that word right there, manifestation, is important. We'll come back to that. But it leads us to our second question, the second W, who are these four? In verse 7, it makes that abundantly clear, to each. Paul will say it in different ways. Because it's 12, 13, and 14 that are specifically right here unpacking how this plays out in our life. But it's always driving home the same message. If, the, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have been brought from death to life in faith, then the Spirit is at work in each of you. It's, it's straightforward, crystal clear right here that these are gifts. These are gifts given, not skills. We're not talking about, oh, do you have this skill in your life? They're, they're different than talents, the way we, we talk about talents. And they're not necessarily permanent. They're not necessarily permanent, but they're manifestations. They're showing up of the Spirit right here for the moment, for the common good. And I, I want to press on that for a second because even just this past week I had someone uh, come up to me and they were like, yeah, Chad, I, I've, never, I've never gotten the, the, all caps, the gift. I've never got the gift of the Spirit. And, and, and they, they actually, they meant well. They weren't trying to make a joke. They weren't trying to say anything. They were, in all sincerity, I haven't had the gift. And because they've been led to believe that there's just one gift and you either have it or you don't. And that, and that somehow shows whether you're a believer or not. I've never had the gift. And he was specifically talking about speaking in tongues. And it was just like, hey, hold up. Hold up just a second. It talks about gifts, plural. It talks about all sorts of things. Paul actually lists nine right here. We read them. We read nine gifts right here. Chapter 12 is going to end with more. There's, a, there's actually more that are spoken of right here in chapter 12. Romans 12, uh, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. All these give different lists, different lists of gifts. And they're not, none of them are meant to be exhaustive. Not one of them are meant to be exhaustive in any way. What they're meant to be are examples of ways that the Spirit might manifest himself. Paul's whole point here is that everyone has something. And nobody has all of them. Nobody has all of them. So many churches are, are geared around uh, somebody super talented, uh, somebody doing something, and if you just get enough of that somebody in their gifts, then you're going to be okay. And that's not how the Bible discusses it. That's not how the Bible uh, works these things out. And so that leads me to our third W, which is why is this such a big deal? It isn't just about gifting. It's about something so much more because it says right here to each, to each is given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For your good, for my good, for the common good. But we live in a moment where the individual is ultimate. 
We live in a moment where it's like, what is for my good? What is for my comfort? What is for me to get my way? What would make me the the happiest? What would make me the most fulfilled? We live in a moment where the absolute highest good is personal freedom. It's like, I'm free to do whatever I want to. I'm free to do whatever I want. I can make whatever choice at any time. I can do whatever. That's what they fought for, right? That's what all, how all these things work out. We think that the highest good is individual, personal freedom, fulfillment, and that has become the ultimate meaning and purpose for so many people. And yet the disruptive word of God tells us something different. You see, the problem is if, if the highest meaning in your life is your good and the highest meaning in my life is my good, those do not always or ever meet. And the Bible speaks of the common good. It speaks of something bigger and more beautiful than just, are you happy today? Are you getting everything? Are you getting all your needs met? It's speaking to something so much better. And I would say, I would go as far as to say, this text around spiritual gifts and and the call to follow Jesus in general cannot, cannot, you are unable even to understand it without some measure of the big story. The big story. And hear me, humbly say, like, maybe you've approached the big story simply as a picture book. (laughs) And you've heard certain stories, you've heard the same five or six stories your whole life of this and stuff. And I say, read the big story. Read the big story because it's impossible for us to understand these gifts apart from it. It's impossible. And so I, I want to give you three themes, three essential biblical themes to help you understand the big story. And I, and I would say it is no accident. It's not a stretch. They're absolutely on display right here in our text today. This isn't a, a, just a scenic turnout. This actually helps us understand our text for today. So the big story is one of God. Pardon me, is one of a good and perfect king. That's God. He, he is a good and perfect king. The Bible goes on to say, Jesus, king of kings, Lord of lords. And, and it's at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Every single tongue confess. Everything loses its its place. Everything loses its meaning and purpose apart from the king and his kingdom. When we lose sight of the fact that there is a king on the throne today that is far beyond what my eyes could see, any uh, no doctor could help me see that. When we when we lose sight of that, our day to day activities are sinfully self focused and corrosive. Because here's what happens. We start to think, well, I'm the kingdom. It's my kingdom I'm building. I'm the king of this. It's my castle. I'm going to get my way. And and everybody else can do their thing, but it's it's me. And maybe we even think that by saying, like, oh, yeah, it's just me and God. It's just me and God. I know he's king, but it's just a a me and God thing. And, And hear me. That's not the story of the gospel. That's not a whole that's not the whole story. When we see this good and perfect king, it changes the everyday spaces and places that we come to. They 
they come alive. We smell them differently. We see them differently. We hear them differently. We experience them differently. We become alive in those spots. We, we start to recognize our place in the big story. Our circumstances, even the challenges that we come across, uh, don't become all-consuming because even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because there is a king and he is on the throne. He's on the throne. And so we come to a passage like this and we read it and we say, well, what does that have to do with today? Verse 11 ends, we read it, Micah read it at the beginning. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit, the king. All of these are empowered. The one who apportions, the one who decrees, the one who says all of these are empowered by the same spirit who apportions to each one individually. Hear this language of royalty as he wills. As he wills. You cannot understand these gifts apart from the king. You can't understand what it means to follow Jesus or what we're here for apart from his kingdom. And so we get to this second, this second theme that is so important for us is that the big story doesn't stop, stop with a king and his kingdom. And our place in this story cannot, it can't be understood apart from the fact that we are the bride of Christ. He's called us into this. The whole of scripture points to this bride wedding narrative that is happening. It's throughout the Bible we're giving glimpses into the love of this king for his bride. And in fact, the end of the story, you get to the back of the Bible, Revelation, and it ends with a wedding feast. The marriage supper of the Lamb. And you say, well, wait, I, don't, I didn't hear anything about a bride in here. But among all the things that you could think of when you think of a, a, a wedding, of all the things that you think of with a bride and a groom, and there's so much of it. We're, we're informed so much by The Bachelor and stupid stuff like that. Like we think we, we've got this all figured out. But one of the things that is so striking is, is what's always part of a wedding, but the gifts. And I remember getting married uh, I remember getting married and being blown away, uh, blown away by how many people just poured out gifts on us. It was amazing over and over and over. And here's the good part of this story. is like the picture that we have in earthly marriages and earthly weddings that we have, a bride and a groom being gifted. Like, like the, the big story of the Bible is it isn't all your friends and family who are bringing gifts. It's the very God, the king himself, that is pouring out these gifts on his bride. The king, because of his great love for his bride, lavishes upon her all these things. And you say, well, like, wait, how, how are we supposed to live that out? How are we supposed to live that out? Praise God, we're not left to our own devices. Like the, uh, the central theme of the Bible ongoing is this body metaphor. It's not just like colorful language. It's like the centerpiece, it's such a centerpiece of how we're to walk this out. We, we live as the body. It's the big story is about a king and his bride and we're given instructions for the day to day in that we operate, we function as a body connected, interdependent, strengthening one another, 
Colossians 2 says, it says this in like present tense, ongoing. It says, being knit together. We're being knit together in this. This this is the picture that we're given for all of it. And our our day-to-day actions are sinfully missing the point if we are going about our life and our faith as a solo project. As imperfect as our community groups are, as imperfect as they are, and they're they're imperfect because we're a bunch of messy people, right? It's God at work knitting us together. It's God at work bringing us past the picture book and straight into the story. The everyday becomes dynamic and surprising, packed with meaning as we step more and more into the body of Christ. And even this chapter This chapter will move directly to the body. It will start to to unpack everything that's being said here through the body. Verse 27 of chapter 12 says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Like these three themes just course through the whole of Scripture. And if we ignore one of them, we miss very important parts of what it means to walk as followers of Jesus. If we miss out on that, we're, we're, we're absolutely like detaching from where our hope comes from. And so the question is like, how are we to walk out these gifts? How? That's our age. How, how are we to walk out these gifts? And today, today I'm going to narrow it down, and I'm just going to talk about three. I'm going to talk about wisdom, knowledge, and faith as gifts, manifestations of the Spirit. And, and next week, Bryce is going to take uh, three more, and then we'll, t- we'll save a couple till we get to 14 for us to unpack in all of it. But I want you to pick it up with me in verse 8. I want you to read with me what verse 8 and verse 9 says. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit. To one is given utterance of wisdom, to another is given utterance of knowledge, and, and for another is given the faith, given to another faith by the same spirit. This is important for us, and it uses weird language. So most of us aren't walking around saying utterance all the time. I don't know about you, but that's not part of my common vocabulary. But this whole thing about wisdom and knowledge is referring back to where we've been from the beginning of 1 Corinthians. Like at the beginning, they they were puffed up. They knew what was best. We walk in wisdom. We walk in this. And, And 1 Corinthians is a corrective letter. It's Paul speaking in and saying, what you think is wisdom is actually foolishness. And what you think is wisdom is actually just going about your own preferences, your own desires, and trying to just smooth everything out so you get your way. All the way back from chapters 1 and 2, Paul's been talking about wisdom and knowledge. But this isn't just like, uh, are you, do you have a lot of knowledge to pass the SAT? This isn't, uh, do you have a lot of wisdom that you can impart to your friends? And, and like, when you get a fortune cookie, nothing surprises you out of that. Like, this isn't, this is a, an actual manifestation of the Spirit of God through an utterance of wisdom for the common good. It's the miraculous 
connecting of God's good news to the moment for a purpose. It isn't just, do you know enough stuff? Could you play Bible trivia and win? I say, that's not, not at all what's happening here. It's like for a purpose, for the common good, uh, God shows up and gives insight. Knowledge is similar as with wisdom. Knowledge, knowledge is kind of this pairing, right? Uh, with wisdom, like as with wisdom, Paul is rescuing this term from the way the Corinthians were using it. They, they were operating under this, uh, if I just know enough stuff, then I'll do the right thing. If I just know certain things, and if I, just, if I just filled my head with all the knowledge in the world, then I wouldn't sin again. And yet, let me just say, uh, that has been my story at different parts of my life, and maybe it's been your story at different parts of your life. And I, I just say, how did that go for you? There are things that we should know. There, there are these things that are written for us to know. But what we're getting right here is different. We're getting a gift. We're getting a manifestation where, where the Spirit of God embodies, shows up in a moment, giving knowledge for a specific purpose, for a good, for a blessing, for this common good of the church. And some people would say, some people would say, well, like, that's just like, I have people in my life who always have a verse or something smart to say in, in the moment. And we know people and they're really good. They're like, I know this guy, person, they're a really good teacher. And we're talking about something different. We're talking about something like miraculous. What distinguishes this gift of wisdom or this gift of knowledge is what one commentator says, a concretely visible nature. It isn't just for the individual's good. You could have knowledge just for your own good. It's for the common good. It's a manifestation of the Spirit's presence in their midst. I would say a miraculous Spirit-given gift of wisdom or knowledge. It's information that they wouldn't otherwise know to offer the truth of God's word and apply it. Like, think of this. I'll give you a couple of biblical examples. Like, think of uh, the first one that jumps to mind is John 4. In John 4, Jesus is at the, at the well, and there's a woman there. And Jesus goes off the beaten path, to, and the disciples go off the path. They go to Samaria, and they get here, and here's this woman at the well. And they're having a conversation, and the whole conversation is really fascinating. It's really interesting. But in verse 16, Jesus says this. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband, and come here. Go get your husband and come, come this way. And the woman answered him, I, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one that you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. Like, here's a real rubber meets the road for us. If someone were to come and say that to you, would your reaction be like, who are you to say that to me? And Jesus isn't trying to shame her. He gives this word to heal her. And what the rest of the story tells us is that 
she hears it and receives it. And her life is changed. This isn't to bring shame. This is to bring healing and hope and life in abundance. And I can almost hear it. I can almost hear your inner dialogue. Yeah, that's Jesus. (laughs) That's Jesus. And yet, the Gospel of Luke says again and again that this spirit, it rests on him. Remind that Jesus was filled with the same spirit, and that same spirit he had now is poured out on us to continue his ministry. We could go to Acts chapter 5, and Peter is given a word of knowledge about something that is happening within the church to two people. Two people are, are sinning in the church, and Peter names it. Peter names it, and it leads to this unbelievable story, this, this wild story of judgment, but this wild story of repentance of the church through I don't know what else we would say other than a miraculous manifestation of the Spirit for the moment, for the common good. This isn't just for this time. I, I was meeting with a couple of years ago, and I, back to the marriage theme, they, they had asked me to do pre-marriage counseling for them. And they, it was kind of some strange circumstances. They said, we've got one week. We've got one week where we're both in town together. And so what we'd like to do is come every single day for a week. We'd like to come every single day, and so we'll meet every morning, and we'll do this. And I was like, okay, that's weird, but let's go. And so we sat down, and day one, I, I listened to the story. I listened to all this, and I'm like, something is weird. And I didn't know, I didn't know how to put my finger on it. And I was like, full stop, something is strange here. So we came back the next day, and they started to talk. We were asking some questions, and there was this moment of stopping. And I said, at this point, I don't know exactly what it is, but there's something going on here that is more than is being said. And they looked at each other, and I was like, like, okay, here we go. They looked at each other, and they said, we're already married (laughs) And no one knows. I go, here we go. We're in the thick of it now, aren't we? We're right here. Because I was more than prepared to say, hey, I don't think you two should get married. I'm not sure you two should get married. Which led to this amazing moment of them laying out far more of the story that needed to be shared, which led to repentance, which led to this beautiful breakthrough in their life. And now, like 15 years later, they're married. They're still married and they're still walking. And praise God for what he's doing in their life. That wasn't me. That was the spirit meeting us in this moment. Again, I'm giving you another example. Just last week, we had a guy here give a picture. He's like, I had a dream that I don't know what to make of it. I I saw a river. I saw a river flowing, and it was moving. I saw this river that was moving. He said, and I was in a boat trying to go the opposite direction. I was trying to go the opposite direction. And on the boat were all these words. And I picture it like barnacles hanging off the boat. On the boat were all these words of sin and shame and guilt and things I was carrying and things that were happening. On the boat was covered with all this. Well, I'm trying to work up this river. And he came to us and he's like, I don't know where this fits in. And we said, neither do we. (laughs) Neither do we. 
But let's pray and let's sit in this. And friends, here's what I want to, there's two things I want to bring out. All week, we've been praying into this. All week, God gave us, God gave us verse after verse on Tuesday morning. We're praying like crazy. God gave us word after word about just what this looks like in our own lives, in our own lives. And so God moved over the week in this picture. But also, here's what I want to say. There's no promise that we know exactly how it plays out in the moment. We might not know for years what that looks like. We might not know exactly what that could be. But God stirring, giving these gifts in the moment. And praise God for my friend who is like, hey, I don't know what this is. But here's what I'm really sensing the Lord is pressing on me. When we closed our service, the 9 a.m., someone came up and said, I had a dream last night and I thought it was just a nightmare. But I don't know. Will you pray with me? Is God speaking something in my life? What a gift for us. What a gift. And I know there are others in our church who could give testimony to all of those. But God manifesting his presence and his spirit for our good. And so what do we do with faith? What do we do with faith? It doesn't say it's an utterance, but what, what do we do with that? Because we're safe to say, like faith in itself that leads to salvation, faith in itself is a gift. Faith is a gift to us unto itself. But, but I think we can see from the context that that's not what's being talked about. Because in the context it talks about these are manifestations of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. Like, your salvation is not necessarily common good. That's like good for you individually, right? But what is, how does faith play out for the common good? And there are, there are spots in which the, the Spirit gives us a faith which the Bible talks about even in 13, chapter 13, is a faith that moves mountains. I had a guy come up to me after the service and say, I used to walk with such courage. Such courage, such faith, and I feel like I've lost that. I feel like I've lost that. And it, it, we have these moments, we have these spots in which God meets us and fills us with faith. He gives a gift of an extra measure of faith where you feel like your toes are dipped in the current of, of the, the flood that is going by. And you get to this moment and you say, I, I, God, I have no idea how we're going to get through this, but we're getting through it because you're a king on the throne. Faith. It's a gift of faith, miraculous for the moment. When you sit with a family, who's battling the diagnosis. And it's not just pleasantries, it's faith. It's not just some Hallmark card or, or some crocheted verse, it's faith. It's a gift that we see. And maybe you're thinking, maybe you're thinking, what, Chad, you skipped the win and the where. Maybe you're caught up in all the W's and the H's, and, which is fair and right because I took it out of order and I threw the H in there. But I need to get back to the win and where because that is super important to us. How do we, how, like, when and where does the gift of well, wisdom and faith and knowledge play into it? And inevitably the question is like, do these gifts even exist today? Like, should we expect these things to happen today? And let me just give you a principle around this. Let me give you a principle as we read scripture. Like, we'll come back to the big questions uh, on it. But here's a principle. It's a good principle to assume 
to assume that when we're reading the passages in the New Testament, that they apply to us unless it's clear from the context. Unless it's clear from the context. And Paul, right here, in context, is not speaking to some subset of people. He's speaking to all of us, to each of us, to each one is given these things. And so, like, we, we're, we're to recognize the context. Later on in chapter 13, he'll say, hey, some of these gifts are going to go away. Some of these things are passing and imperfect. We see partially now. One day we'll see perfectly. But here's where he puts it. He's like, when the perfect comes. When the perfect comes, those things happen. And so I want to give you three things. I want to give you three kind of takeaways of how we play this out, how, how we're supposed to walk it, the when and the where of it. If the when is that this is continuing today and it's at work in our lives, where are we to do this? As individuals, as a part of the body, all of that is true. But each of us are to receive. We're, we're to be re- receiving and not just blindly. We don't just say, I'll take anything. I'll take all of it. No, but we're also to be people that again and again, Paul says, eagerly pursue. Eagerly go after these things. Earnestly desire these gifts. And so for us, that's a receiving posture. These gifts aren't abilities. They're not some sort of superhero abilities that we're here to leverage and wield. Uh, But they're invitations to us and opportunities for ministry. And so receive them. Receive them. God the King is building his church, the bride, through his good gifts being used through the body. Receive them. Now, we don't receive those as solo projects. We don't just say, oh, okay, I heard this, I felt this, I did all this stuff. We receive that in community, connected to others, because because we're non-objective, right? (laughs) We need other people speaking into our lives. And so what I would say is don't just be some, like, completely open door for anything and everything that comes your way. Be a person who receives in the safe It's safe harbors of community. People walking in, speaking into your life. Secondly, I would say, we need to be people who are risking. We need to be people who are saying, God, I I don't know. I I don't know, but I'm not just going to sit on my hands. I'm actually going to name it here for somebody else. We're not people who go and say, thus says the Lord. I heard this. You need to hear it now. And that's exactly what it is. That is not what we're saying. We say humbly, like, hey, listen, I'm a flawed person. I'm a flawed person, but God, I, I sense God might be saying this. And the risk is that we would actually do that. The risk is that we might be wrong. The risk is that we would actually step into that spot and say, I don't know, but I'm humble enough and I love you enough to say this and I'm gonna let you deal with it. I'm not gonna come and say, I have all the answers on it. So I want us to be a people who risk. I want us to be people who are willing to go to bat. And sometimes you strike out on that. But I want us to be people who are expectant and eagerly desiring for God to meet us in those moments. And to say, God, I I don't know how this works out. I'm actually embarrassed or I feel strange in doing it, but I'm going to trust to follow you. And finally, the natural outflow of that is that we would respond. We would respond to him. And this is harder than we give it credit for because maybe, uh, maybe you're like, man, my past has a lot of baggage. And maybe it's like my yesterday has a lot of baggage. 
Like, I feel, I, like, Chad, you don't know what I'm going through. Well, I know what I'm going through. And we feel like, no, God couldn't use me. And I, I want you to hear this because this is really important for us to be people of faith. It's like the gospel is absolutely that God paid all of your debt. He nailed it to the cross. He canceled it. In fact, it, it tells us that he triumphed over it. It's the key, a triumph, a Roman triumph is a parade for the victors. It's that the king has triumphed and gone and has victory over all of it. That is the gospel, and it's not the whole story. It's that he didn't just say, hey, you're set free, get out of my sight. He said, no, come and feast. And so respond to that. In Luke, Jesus says, he says, if you, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Respond to Jesus. 